Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we join Mizaki, daughter of the Oyoban of the Ten Thunders. Mizaki has never been the meek or retiring sort, but as today's story shows, she understands that playing the demure and dutiful daughter can sometimes be useful. I hope you enjoyed part one of The Coming Storm, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Hidden Tiger. Looking for the perfect place to plot, scheme or strategize? The Hidden Tiger in the Little Kingdom offers private rooms, authentic Three Kingdoms cuisine and complete discretion. Whether you're planning a coup, regicide or revolution, you'll be glad you chose the comfort and privacy of the Hidden Tiger. Our rooms are also available for holiday parties. The Coming Storm by David Tanger Ivy. With the Boxer Rebellion resulting in the withdrawal of guild forces from the Three Kingdoms, the mood of the Little Kingdom was festive. Drunk revellers wandered the streets, their shouting punctuated by semi-regular bursts of fireworks. The celebrations had emboldened the intoxicated to lash out at what they saw as their erstwhile jailers, and as a result, a few guild employees who had visited the district to enjoy the festivities had been attacked. This led to the guild guard having to step in and shut down those celebrations that bordered on becoming protests, which only seemed to encourage further violence. The entire situation seemed to be spiralling out of control. It was this tension that had set Mizaki on edge. The celebrations were understandable, but the confidence they instilled in the district's residents, combined with the increased presence of the guild, was a threat to the Ten Thunders. If the Guild decided to institute martial law in the Little Kingdom, even temporarily, it would make everything the Thunders did more difficult. Mizaki glanced at the revellers passed out in the street as she walked past them. The Oyabun had summoned her, and it was time for her to play the role of dutiful daughter. Truth be told, she was relieved that he had summoned her. Perhaps he had a plan to contain some of the rowdiest celebrations and ensure that the guild wouldn't learn of the Thunder's activities into the Little Kingdom. The Oyabun was waiting for her in a newly built pagoda. As she approached, she realised that the bottom floor of the building was a sake house and scowled. It meant that her father had been drinking, which made the odds that this meeting was going to be productive far worse than she had assumed. Mizaki strode past the servants who bowed and offered her refreshments without so much as a glance. She found her father sitting at a large table in the back room. Mizaki, the Oyabun shouted as she entered. Come, sit and join our celebration. Do you truly believe this is a time for celebration? Mizaki asked as she drifted over to the table. 
Her father's Yojimbo drank lightly, but they had clearly been at it for hours and were now red in the face. Two serving girls kept the sake flowing, and Mizaki recognized both as Thunder's agents. At her father's side was a woman Mizaki didn't recognize. The guild may have fled from the Three Kingdoms, she continued, but they remain strong in Malifaux. The new governor-general has already taken... Enough, Mizaki! The Oiban's voice rose as the man cut her off. His tone was that of a parent scolding a misbehaving child, and many of the patrons of the Saki house turned at his voice. She recognized many of their faces. The guild is losing ground. They are weak. The new governor-general has overplayed his hand. He chuckled and held his cup out for a servant to refill. You believe that I am celebrating our victory in the Three Kingdoms? No. I celebrate the victory yet to come in Malifaux. He raised his cup, drawing shouts of agreement from his subordinates. All of them except Mizaki. Victory yet to come. The guild is more alert now than ever. Now is a time of uncertainty. The other factions of the city are embroiled in chaos, and we do not know how the coins will fall. We should not act when we cannot know the outcome of our interference. A twitch of anger crossed the Oyabun's face as she spoke. I said enough, child. You worry too much about things you know nothing about. He held his gaze on Mizaki's face for a long moment, before downing his cup of sake. The powers of Malifaux are in chaos, as you say, the Oyabun began. The guild fights a worldwide war on Earth. Victor Ramos stepped down from the Union and was arrested by the guild and the Neverborn are divided in their loyalties between two leaders. It is time we capitalized on this chaos. Mizaki felt a sinking feeling in the pit of her stomach. What do you mean? she asked. You know what I mean. The karmic wheel has already begun to spin, and those that stand in the way of the Ten Thunders will find themselves on the wrong side of life and death. We will cut off the heads of the snakes that infest this city and step forward to claim it for our own. That is a foolish idea, Mizaki argued, her voice rising. Recent events may have caused some confusion, but you're underestimating the strength of those who walk the city's streets. A mass assassination is only going to... Despite an afternoon spent drinking, the Oyabun moved quickly. He rose to his feet with uncanny speed and grace and backhanded his daughter before she had time to react. You need to remember your place, child. The Oiban's voice seethed with anger and disdain for his daughter. Your status as my daughter does not allow you to question my decisions. The plan is decided, and we shall act. Mizaki's jaw clenched tightly, and her eyes narrowed at her father's insult. She wanted to strike him back, to reclaim some of her dignity. But that was easy to put aside. It was his stubborn recklessness. The recklessness that would no doubt get many of their agents killed, that was harder to ignore. Their agents were willing to give their lives for the Ten Thunders at a moment's notice, but it was her father's responsibility as leader to ensure that they were not asked to do so without great need. As Mizaki calmed herself, she slowly realized that the atmosphere of the room had changed drastically. Everyone in the building had seen what transpired, seen the insult he offered her. The Oyabun's bodyguards had set their hands upon their weapons, though none had yet drawn their blades. They expected her to lash out, to make some sort of counterattack, 
to defend her honour. She wasn't certain what that meant. Did they agree with her and expect her to push the matter further, to reassert herself where they had not? Or did they simply believe that she was as wild and out of control as her father claimed? The only person in the Saki house who still appeared to be relaxed was the woman that had been on her father's arm. Her face now held a look of amusement, like she was watching a stage drama unfold in front of her. It was unsettling to Mizaki, and she watched the woman suspiciously for a moment before turning back to her father. Mizaki stared at him and said nothing, lest her anger get the better of her. After a moment, she bowed her head in a token show of respect, turned, and left the Saki house. A day later, Mizaki was waiting on the second floor of the Hidden Tiger. The restaurant's private room was hidden in the corner of the building amid storage spaces and rarely used banquet rooms, and it was there that she had decided to hold her meeting. Mizaki looked out the room's sole window and down to the street below. The sun was out, and while some of the previous day's revelers had returned to their daily jobs, many still clung to their celebrations and wandered the streets in jubilant packs. On some level, Mizaki envied their lack of obligation and their blindness to the dangers of the future. She had humbly requested a meeting with the Oyabun's top advisers, claiming that she wished to assist in their plans. It was a ploy, of course, to learn what her father had in store, and she doubted that any of them would be fooled by her request. On the other hand, she also suspected that their arrogance would win out and draw them to the meeting out of a desire to revel in her disfavour. Regardless, it didn't matter why they came, only that they did. Mizaki's attention moved from the window to the door as she heard footsteps beyond it. It was a sliding door in the style of the Three Kingdoms, but it was thicker and heavier than normal to offer increased privacy. The door's weight meant that it made a loud and uncomfortable sound as it was pushed open by a restaurant employee who stepped back to allow Mizaki's guests to enter. Mizaki stood and bowed at the waist in a respectful greeting to the five figures. The Oyabun's generals, three men and two women, strode into the private room and returned Mizaki's greeting with varying degrees of respect, or lack thereof. Lu Hom entered the room first and gave a curt nod to Mizaki. The porcelain half-moon-masked general had never seen Mizaki as anything more than a tool, and her personal belief was that tools should not question their masters. When she was younger, Mizaki had gotten into frequent arguments with Yuham over how the Thunder should react to the Guild. Though her father frequently sided with the General, on the few occasions that he had taken Mizaki's advice, Yuham had taken the decision as a personal challenge on Mizaki's behalf. Eventually, Mizaki had learned to keep quiet in the General's presence, but by then much of the damage had already been done. She was followed by the BDI Jan Yu, the youngest of the Oyabun's generals. Mizaki often wondered to herself if he had been tasked with overseeing their gremlin operations simply because he and they shared a similar odour. In stark contrast to Zhang Yu was John Roku, an old man long past the prime of his life. Mizaki's father had called the elder out of retirement to serve the Thunders. Mizaki had never understood why the old man had accepted her father's call 
as he was rumoured to have been a quiet and patient person, the very opposite of the Oyabung. Now John Roku's side, like a nurse doting on an elderly patient, was Maury. He was pale and sickly-looking, a result, she had learned, of regular exposure to the foul magics practised by the resurrectionists. She had only spoken to the man in passing, but she found his temperament agreeable enough, even if his tactics were conventional and uninspired. The fifth of her father's generals entered behind the rest, and quickly bent at the waist in a mirror of Mazaki's bow. The newest of her father's advisers, Mazaki had never met her before, and only knew that her name was Sukon. She was surprised to see that Sukon was the woman that had been drinking with her father and hanging on his arm. Welcome, Mizaki began as the door slid shut behind them. Please sit. I've asked the staff to prepare a meal of... That won't be necessary, Mizaki. Luhom interrupted as she sat down opposite. The half of Luhom's face not hidden beneath her mask telegraphed her dour mood. We will not be here long enough for a meal. Jean Yu nodded his head in agreement. Lady Hom is correct. We are here as a courtesy to the daughter of the Oyabun but we do not have much time to waste on idle chatter. He and the other generals took their seats after Lu Hong. Mori attempted to help the older Jean Raku seat himself, only to have the old man bat him away. Mizaki knew they were not here as a courtesy. The five of them were too important to worry about showing courtesy to her, for the Oyabun had made it clear that she was not to receive special treatment simply because she was his daughter. Mizaki took a longer breath than normal to steady herself as she returned to her seat. Of course, I would not wish to waste your time, so I will be brief, she began, her voice calm and measured. The Oyabun has informed me that it is time to eliminate our most dangerous enemies in Malifaux. I was foolish to question him, and now that I have been taught my proper place, I thought it prudent to learn of his plans. Why? questioned Mori, his tone one of idle curiosity. Why would his plans concern you? With due respect, she answered. Your familiarity with the threats our people face is often second-hand. Reports from agents, objects of study, and so forth. My last blossom have faced many of our enemies in combat, and I can provide you with perspective and advice that might prove invaluable to our mission. She lowered her eyes and attempted to blush as she added, Perhaps I can be of enough assistance my father will be less ashamed of me. Sukon watched her closely, her lip curling into a half-smile. I think that's a fair offer, Sukon replied, drawing a glare from Luhong. I applaud your desire to set things right with your father. We would be foolish to ignore your distinct perspective simply because of your recent shame. You can discuss your plans if you wish, Sukon, but I have no intention of letting the child second-guess my plans and my agents, Luhong snapped. I've spent enough time studying the guild to know their weaknesses. Mizaki bowed respectfully. I'm not here to second-guess you. She turned her face, showing the cheek where her father had slapped her. I learned that lesson too recently to forget. Her eyes glanced up, and the predatory look in Lu Hom's eyes was enough to let her know that her feigned weakness was having its intended effect. Perhaps I should start, offered Sukong. Our intelligence indicates that the Neverborn have recently had a civil dispute. The return of their so-called Autumn Queen has cast their ranks into chaos, and we plan to stir the pot further and shove a wedge between the ranks of their strongest faction. Even if the plan fails to send them deeper into civil war, 
It was so doubt and paranoia that we might further capitalize on. Sukon tapped her chin with a fan. We have enlisted the help of some of the Illuminated, the drug-addled murderers who answered to the beck and call of Jacob Lynch. They will infiltrate the forest, murdering the fey creatures, but they shall mold their claws to make the attacks look like the claws of a Nephilim. We have reason to believe this might drive a wedge between Titania and the new leader of the Nephilim, the one they call Nekima. Her lips pulled upwards into a devious smile. More importantly, as they travel through the forest, the Illuminated will contaminate the forest's ponds and streams with their brilliance-laced blood. Distracted as they are by their internal bickering, they will not notice their minds slipping under Lynch's control until it is too late. It matters not which side will prevail, for the winners will be hopelessly addicted to Lynch's drugs. Jean Yu shook his head and scoffed at his fellow general's plans. Sow the seeds of discontent. Turn them into addicts. The rat-faced man's voice was mocking. Your plan is so gentle, Sukon. Would you care to show how you will take care of the gremlin leadership then, Zhang Yu? Mazaki spoke up, hoping to quell the tension between her father's generals. Having them compete amongst themselves might help open them up, but if the discussion turned too hostile, they would shut down and storm out in anger, which wouldn't help her get the information she needed. Jean Yu laughed at her question. The very idea of gremlin leadership is a joke, Jean Yu answered, an arrogant smirk coming to his lips. He shot a glance toward his fellow generals, and then turned fully toward Mazaki. The gremlins are no more than stupid little creatures aping humanity. Until recently they were a non-issue, tribal creatures that fought each other or blew themselves up as often as they posed a threat to humans, let alone any of our interests. There is no more need to deal with them than there is to deal with a stray dog. Except recently they've begun to unify, Mazaki pointed out. My agents have encountered signs that they're being manipulated by one of the Neverborn, the swamp hag Zoraida. Uh, Jean Yu seemed uncomfortable with that bit of information. In any case, I have a very highly placed agent who has successfully infiltrated their ranks. He has recently sabotaged their attempts to organize by ensuring that a half-witted moron was elected into a position of leadership. We shouldn't have to worry about any threats from the bayou until well after our control of the city and the breach has been established. Mizaki frowned slightly. I find it difficult to believe that Summer Teeth Jones, Ophelia Lacroix, or the other gremlin leaders would unite together under a single banner. Even if they did, what of the powerful gremlins that operate independently of the families, such as the one with the three-demon bag? What of the rumours that the gremlin is attempting to free Ling Zuzi from its imprisonment? The other generals were staring at Jean Yu, who had begun to sweat under the pressure of their gaze. It was clear that this was the first time any of them, Jean Yu included, had heard of such potential threats. If the gremlin should ever become a problem, which they won't, I will take care of them. He reached up and pushed a hand back through his greasy hair. If necessary, I will send a team of Torakaji to infiltrate their airship and bring it crashing onto their little bayou hovels. That will kill most of the filthy little creatures. Any left alive will hopefully go up in flames alongside their foul excuse for alcohol. Mazaki stared at Jean Yu. She expected there to be more to his plan and gave him time to catch his breath and gather his thoughts before continuing. The silence that answered her was uncomfortable. But the worst part to Mazaki was how proud the BDI general seemed to be. Your plan to assassinate the Gremlin leadership relies on them being too stupid to run away 
from a large flaming object falling onto them from the sky, Mizaki pointed out. With all due respect, you are underestimating them. The gremlins are not particularly smart, yes, but most of them understand enough not to stand in the way of danger. They also may outnumber all the humans on Malifaux by a factor of three or more. Lu Hong snorted. On this I agree with this child. That is a foolish plan, Zhen Yu, and I am glad that you were not tasked with dealing with the gremlins at this time. I'd hate to see you embarrass us with such a stupid plan. Zhen Yu rose to his feet. Your plan is a simple train robbery. A break in the track and theft of soul stones. Lu Hong glared at him with such naked hostility that he fell silent. She hadn't wanted to reveal her plan, but Zhang Yu had done so for her. A train robbery is simple, which can make it an effective plan that is easy to adapt should something go wrong. Mizaki nodded respectfully toward Lu Hong. Stealing a shipment of soul stones could easily undermine faith in the new governor-general. They will dock the pay of the guardsmen involved, and a lack of both money and faith in their employer will result in easily bribed guards. Lu Hong nodded. A clever assessment she conceded. There is no need to move directly on the guild now. Marlow's position is tenuous, and any damage we deal to his administration of the city will be felt for years to come. Mizaki glanced toward John Roku. What of the Arcanists? Who leads the organization now that Victor Ramos has been captured? Either a woman named Keris, or a woman named Ironsides, depending on your point of view. John Roku gave a small shrug. The Lady Ironsides has signed her own death warrant by turning on Ramos. Our people have begun to quietly agitate the miners. It will not be long before she finds the blade of a loyalist in her back. Even if she does not, it is a threat she fears, and that fear will temper her hand. He spoke with the slow confidence of someone who has seen too many battles. The Arcanists will fracture without our involvement. They only accepted Keris as their leader because they believed that Ramos would return to them once his private project was finished. We need merely be the stone that ripples the water. We will kill Ramos while he's defenseless in his cell and make it seem as if it was done by Keris to silence her former mentor. The shock and fury of those most loyal to Ramos will tear the Arcanists apart. A direct approach, Mizaki said with an approving nod. Sometimes direct is best, Maury replied. Shukone is wise, but her plan is too circumspect. Master John Roku understands that there is a time for circumspection and a time for action. Shukone smiled and spread her hands before her as she bowed her head, almost as if conceding some defeat. It made Mizaki uncomfortable, for Shukone seemed to be playing the same game here as Mizaki. I suppose your plan is also one of action, Mizaki asked of Mori, shifting her thoughts away from the smiling Sukon. Of course, Mori said, looking at the aged John Roku like a young child looks at their father. The Resurrections are like rats. They hide in their caves, only scampering out with the coming of night. I have instructed our noble ancestor, Katanaka Toshiro, to... A chill went down Mizaki's spine. You would use the shuffling corpse of my ancestor as a pawn in your games. In our games, Mori corrected, his expression turning a bit sheepish. It is the only way. The undead and protective wards guarding the strongholds of the resurrectionists make any sort of infiltration by living agents too overt to be of use. 
Your noble ancestor is one of the few among our number who possesses the mind and temperament for this mission. There must be others, Mazaki insisted. She glanced around the table and saw her apprehension mirrored in the eyes of the other generals. Mori simply shook his head. Should I send Azamu? Yin? Both are insane. Their minds warped by their dishonor. Only Toshiro possesses the honor to carry this mission out. He paused, waiting for further objection, but found only silence. Once he has infiltrated the strongholds of the Hatter, the Undertaker, and the Doctor, Toshiro and his zombies will plant timed explosives and retreat. When the morning comes and the rats return to their nests, the explosives will detonate, bringing an end to the most powerful of the Resurrectionists, and, if we're lucky, burning down much of the quarantine zone in the process. Mizaki couched her doubt and concern. What of Ankoku? She is dangerous on a completely different level. He waved his hand, dismissing the concern. She passed through the breach last summer and returned to Earth. Our agents lost track of her in Saigon, but we are monitoring the trains. If she returns to Malifaux, we will know it. Slowly, Mizaki inclined her head to each of them, except Jean Yu. It seems that soon the little kingdom will be as free as the three kingdoms. I should not have doubted my father. Lu Hom leaned in closer to her. No, but at least you recognize your failings. Perhaps there will remain a place for you in the future, if you continue to mind your sharp tongue. Mizaki cast her gaze to her feet. I defer to the generals. I apologize for wasting your time with my foolish concerns. You have this well in hand. I will remain available for the duration of the missions, should you wish further counsel. Maury climbed to his feet. We cannot afford to spend any more time indulging your curiosity. Farewell. Three of the generals rose with Maury. Once more, John Roku swatted away Maury's attempt to aid him. Both the old general and the sickly one bowed, short and quick, before they left. Jean Yu offered a curt nod before he departed, his brow furrowed in doubt and confusion. Luhom lingered, as if she wished to say something further to Mizaki, but she evidently thought better of it and simply strode out of the room without a bow. Only Sukon remained in the room with Mizaki. Amusement danced across her features as she once again broke out into a wide smile. It seems, the general said, that we have accidentally divulged our plans to you. I trust you will keep them secret. Without waiting for an answer, Sukon stood, bowed, and left the room. Mizaki watched her leave in silence. The generals had given Mizaki enough information that she could figure out the rest of their plots, but Sukon unnerved her. She would have to be careful when moving forward, lest she unknowingly walk into a trap. it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for part two of The Coming Storm on Tales of Malifaux.